This is the day that the Lord has made. the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Today is, is our tradition on the fifth Sunday of the month. We'll do the service of Matins from the Lutheran service book. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different on the music today. The opening hymn is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, but we're doing it to the tune of the Navy hymn, which is sort of the ELCA traditional way of doing the hymn, um, but it really works. It's actually pretty magnificent that way, so once in a while we should do it that way with, uh, with the Navy hymn tune, but a little bit different. Our final hymn our final hymn is God the Father Comes in the Cloud and Fire. That's an original hymn written by um, Arlen Young Kerr, one of our youth workers and teachers here, um, to a familiar tune. So that one is a, a little bit different too. We've got it set to music now, so hopefully it'll be easier to work our way through that one. Um, on the Benite and the Te Deum, just keep an eye out on the fourth verse. Um, it, it changes just a little bit on the fourth verse of those. So we rise to sing the opening hymn. My hope is built on nothing else.
seated for the confessions.
We rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. That'd make you pretty 
If, if the scissors went through the cards, you'd say, eh, what good are they anyway? Is that, is that pretty much what you'd say? Probably not. <laughs> But that's what we have to focus on with God, because it is all good. You remember what God said after he made everything? God said, let there be light. It was good. It was good. Everything was good that God made. And that's what we have. When we come to church, we come into the presence of God. We have God here. Every other Sunday, we have communion. And when we have baptism, we have the word. We just had God's word read. It's all good, right? If it's raining, it's all good. You know what happened to me last week? I got in a car wreck. You know what I said right away? Ah, it's all good. After a few seconds. <laughs> oh, no. It wasn't even my car. You know what the person whose car was? You know what they said? It's all good. Ah. Not right away. <laughs> it all works out, right? I'm here. And you know what? Someday I will be here. It's all good. Because we have God, right? We have God who saved us. Saved us from all trouble. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father. Help keep us focused. Fill us with your wisdom. In the love and eternal life. Through your son Jesus. Amen. Alright, I've got eyes. You know what blow pops are? You gotta lift them forever. Forever. And then you get to the middle and get the sudrama. Really good. If I'm not here, you know what? Some there's lots of good people here that cover that too. But thanks for asking. Have a great week. We continue with the sermon in Gracious God and send great blessing on page nine.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm fighting a little cold, so hopefully the voice will stay with me. So, you know, some people's prayers are answered. When Jeanette and I first visited Hamilton after receiving placement from the seminary in 2001, we had one weekend to find a place to live, so no pressure. Our realtor really wasn't very much help, but driving around, we found a messy house with padlocks on the door and the grass about four or five feet tall. We thought, this must be the place. It was a HUD foreclosure, and it was up for auction on the internet, so we overbid the asking price by a bit, and we prayed. And we got the house and spent a few weeks fixing it up before moving in. Just starting out, the church helped us get financing through the church extension fund, and since then we've had about four different mortgages as we refinanced over and over to lock in rates and chase the rates lower. First loans were 30-year loans, and every time we'd start over again, our monthly payment kept getting less and less, but I realized I wasn't going to pay the house off till I was about 80. So we refinanced one last time with a 15-year installment loan. As long as I send the bank money every month, I get to stay in the house. And after 180 months, it's mine free and clear. So installment loans are one kind of loan. Another kind of loan is a revolving credit, like a credit card, where you just need to make a minimum payment each month, and the bank is more than happy for you to keep a balance on the card and pay a high interest rate. In a way, the bank hopes you never pay off that debt. Another kind of loan is a call loan. This is generally made between a bank and a brokerage house when the brokerage house needs more cash. The call loan has no set time period, and the bank can call the loan at any time. And when it's called, the borrower needs to pay off the entire balance immediately. I'm glad that my home loan is not a call loan. Your life and your possessions are on loan from God. What kind of a loan is it? Is it an installment loan for a fixed period of time? Is it a revolving line of credit that you can keep your life and wealth forever as long as you keep making a minimum payment? Or is it a call loan? Can your life and wealth be taken away from you at any time? We learn from our gospel lesson today that your life and possessions are indeed a call loan from God. Your life and your wealth are on loan to you from God for you to care for and you to use for the glory of God until he calls the loan. In our reading from Luke 12, a man cries out from the crowd asking Jesus to command the man's brother to divide an inheritance with him. <clears throat> but Jesus said to him, Man, who made me an arbiter over you? Jesus is not a probate judge. He was not sent to earth to, to resolve family financial squabbles. But Jesus does use this opportunity to teach an eternal truth. And he said to them, <clears throat> Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Your life is not about how much money you have. It's not about how much stuff you have. This is a countercultural teaching in Jesus' time, and it's even more countercultural today. You live in a world of, of abundance, a world awash in the idea that the main thing in life is to get more, bigger, and better stuff. To always pursue more and more money. And this is how folks keep score in life. Jesus then tells a parable about a rich farmer whose land produced a bumper crop. <clears throat> the Lord has provided this man an abundant harvest. So what does the man do? Does he give thanks to God for the abundant gift? Does he share his abundance with those in need and store his crop in the bellies of hungry people? Does he think about anyone except himself? No. The rich man doesn't even consult with anyone else other than me, myself, and I. <clears throat> and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. He's all about himself and his things. He has no sense that his life and possessions are a gift from God. He's all about me, 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 my crop, my barn, my grain, my soul. He decides to hoard the abundant blessing given to him by God. And then he continues the conversation with himself. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. The rich man believes that the highest pleasure and the greatest form of satisfaction in life is eating and drinking. That's a lot like my brother-in-law's old pug, Coco. Coco keeps limping along year after year, mainly just sleeping in her little dog bed. But when 6 p.m. rolls around, there is an amazing transformation. This lazy, drowsy, elderly, arthritic dog suddenly comes back to life and is incredibly excited about her dinner of Special Hills prescription dog food. Coco gets excited, barking, bouncing, spinning in circles, all because she's about to eat. For Coco, like the rich man in the parable, the highest and greatest form of satisfaction is eating and drinking. And oh, what a great temptation it is to adopt the same attitude toward life. How many go through life just trying to accumulate enough that they'll never have to work again. If only they can get enough to be able to relax and eat and drink for the rest of their lives. For many, this is the most important thing in life. And they have been reduced to the level of an animal. For what is really the most important thing in life? What brings true peace, true satisfaction? The rich man basically says, My soul is restless until I am assured of an overabundance of food and drink. Does the man find peace for his restless soul? That very night, God calls the loan on his life and his wealth. 
The man does not find peace. So where is true peace to be found? The church father Augustine once wrote, My soul is restless until it rests in thee. O Lord, my soul is restless until it rests in thee. The world believes true peace is found in having enough money. Enough money to buy whatever you want. Enough money to never have to work again. But this is not the source of peace. Whoever just hit the Mega Millions jackpot suddenly has more money than he or she could spend in a lifetime. And yet they are still a sinner who needs Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no peace. Contrary to the incessant message of the world, money does not bring peace, as evidenced by so many miserable rich people. Money does not bring peace. Jesus brings peace. Jesus did not come to earth to make sure that you have enough money. Jesus comes to earth to ensure your sins are forgiven. Jesus comes to gain for you eternal life. Jesus comes to serve you by giving his life on the cross to pay for your sins, including the sin of loving money. Jesus did not come as a probate judge to decide inheritance disputes. Jesus did come to save you forever. Your life and your money are gifts from God to be managed according to God's will. Your life is on loan from God. Your money and possessions are not yours to hold in a closed fist, but they're God's to hold in an open hand. Your life and your money and your possessions are on loan from God, and it's a call loan. Your life and your wealth could be taken away at any time. Now, money's tricky. You need money. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a tool to provide for daily needs of food and shelter and transportation. Money is needed to care for those you've been given to care for. Money should be well managed and well invested. If possible, you should save money for future unexpected needs. Money is a good tool for life. But beware. Because money is a tool that the devil will try to leverage into an idol. It's far too easy to love money. It's too easy to let money become your God. The love of money is a great danger for rich and for poor alike. And Jesus knows this. So he warns of the danger in our parable this morning. To avoid money becoming an idol, be rich toward God. To avoid the love of money, give generously. Give generously. Giving money is an antidote to loving money. As a part of this fellowship of believers, give generously to the Lord's work here at Emmanuel. Give generously to help other organizations and people doing God's will in the world. There are times in life when money is stretched pretty thin. Give what you can out of your scarcity. And there are times when you have more money than you need. You can give generously out of your abundance. For me, I found that the idea of giving 10% to the church is a good guideline. It's not a command in the New Testament, but it's a guide. 
There'll be financially tight times when giving 10% may be too much. And there'll be financially plentiful times when giving 10% is too little. Another guideline I find that's helpful is to give until it hurts. Give until it hurts, until you're missing the money. Give until it hurts. And then give a little more until it feels good. Then you're in a pretty good spot. Giving is a remedy for greed. Giving generously helps prevent loving money and letting money become your God. Because again, as Jesus warns, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The rich man in the parable is all about me, 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 my, my, my. Living in this nation of abundance, it is far, far too easy to join the rich man in his self-centered greed and think only about my life, my money, my possessions, mine, mine, mine. But self-centered greed puts you in mortal danger like the rich fool in the parable. Be on guard. You are a baptized, redeemed child of God, living as salt and light in this world, fighting back against the rottenness of the world and shining the light of Christ into the darkness. Never forget that all you are and all you have is on loan from God, and you get to manage it for a time. Until he calls the loan. Money is temporary. Salvation is eternal. Be rich toward God. Because you are God's treasure. Your greatest need is the forgiveness given to you by Jesus. Peace comes from Jesus. You are Jesus' treasure. You are more precious to Jesus than his very life. Jesus is your treasure, more precious than gold. You are a forgiven, baptized child of God. Live in Christ. Live for Christ. Be rich toward God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, the peace that is beyond understanding, keep your hearts and minds in true faith until our Lord Jesus returns in glory. We rise and continue with the Te Deum.
passed away very recently. Simon and his wife were past members of Emmanuel. We also remember Janice, Chrissy Snyder's sister-in-law, hospitalized with kidney issues, and Richard Hess, Bill Wegelin's brother-in-law, hospitalized with, uh, with issues of the liver and awaiting hospice care. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For your word and spirit, that our hearts may be guarded against pride and arrogance, and may be wise to love rightly all that you have made, being used for your purpose and glory, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For your church, that you would give her honorable and noble men for the office of holy ministry, and gracious and devoted men and women commissioned for the teaching arts and works of charity within your church, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all husbands and wives, that they would live in fidelity to their vows and promises, for parents as they teach their children to know and love the Lord, for single adults, that they may find fulfillment in their service to others, and for our lives together, that we might show the love of Christ to one another, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our nation and its leaders, that as kingdoms rise and fall, and leaders are raised up and brought low by your will, we may recognize the vanity of all our plans, and so be ready to rejoice and give thanks for your every good gift, the days that you give us under the sun, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the suffering, the dying, and the grieving, especially Shauna, Roxanne, Philip, Simon's family, Janice, and Richard, that they would be sustained in the truth that their lives are even now hidden with Christ in God, and that when he appears, they will also appear with him in glory for compassionate and skillful doctors and nurses, that suffering may be alleviated and minds and bodies return to health, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we would one day be delivered by the hand of Christ into the paradise he has won for us, and in thanksgiving for the peace and rest you have given those that he has led out of the great tribulation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Answer all doubt and fear, O Lord, with confidence in your word and sacraments, that by these means of grace we may be kept in holiness and guarded from temptation and despair until the day when you bring all things to their perfect fulfillment and we are delivered to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.